If you have your Bible, would you turn to John chapter 4, beginning at verse 46, and reading through verse 54. John chapter 4, beginning at verse 46. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Let's pray. Father, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth this morning, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. To you, O God, belongs all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Elisha Hoffman was a pastor and hymn writer many years ago. And one day he visited a woman who was going through a very difficult trial. He said, coming to her home, I found her much discouraged. She unburdened her heart And then asked this question. She said, Brother Hoffman, what shall I do? Now, as a pastor, that's a question I've been asked before. (laughs) What am I going to do? What shall I do? He says, I read from the word of God. Then I said, you cannot do better than to take all of your sorrows to Jesus. You must tell Jesus. For a moment, she seemed lost in meditation. And then her eyes began to lighten. And she said, yes, I must tell Jesus. As he left her house that day, that phrase kept ringing in his mind. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. And as soon as he got home, he penned the words To that hymn, the hymn that we're going to close with this morning, I Must Tell Jesus. Our text describes a man who faced a very difficult trial in his life. And he came to the place where he realized he needed to tell Jesus. And he illustrates then to us what we ought to do when the trials of life come. Our way, And I would suggest to you there are three lessons that we notice in this passage. First of all, we run to Jesus with a desperate need. Run to Jesus with a desperate need. 
The man in our text is described by John in verse 46 as a royal official. And some suggest that he may have served under Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, in some kind of official position of, of leadership. If that's the case, then we have a man here was, who was a man of great power, a man of great influence, perhaps a man of considerable wealth. And so as far as the things of this world were concerned, here was a man who had everything he wanted. Except he had a need that he himself could not meet. He had a son who was about to die and there was nothing that he could do to change that. Didn't matter how much power, how much authority, how much money he had. Here was a man who found himself in a helpless position. What do you do when you are in a helpless position? Do you worry yourself sick? Do you get angry with God? Do you cross your fingers and just, oh, I just hope for the best? When we are totally helpless, we ought to do what this man did. He went and told Jesus. Notice how John describes it. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. You can see how desperate this man is. He lived in Capernaum, and Jesus was in Cana of Galilee. But when he heard that Jesus was there, he left his home and he traveled what was probably 18 to 20 miles that he might bring his need to Jesus. He didn't send a servant on his behalf, which he could have easily done. He went himself. And when he finally got to Jesus, he asked for help. And this word imploring, A.T. Robertson says that that suggests he began to beg and kept it up. It's an ongoing thing. It wasn't just, Lord, help me, but there was a desperation. Continually asking Jesus, here's my need, here's my son, he's about to die. When we are in desperate need, we need to run to Jesus. Simple answer, but that's the answer, isn't it? Where could I go but to the Lord, the hymn writer says. We run to Him with our desperate need. The second thing we notice is that we cling to Jesus with a determined plea. It's a little bit surprising to notice how Jesus responded to this man. When he asked Jesus to come and heal his son, did you notice what Jesus said? He said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Kind of a, takes you back, right? Here's this guy, Lord, my son is sick. He's about to die. And Jesus' initial response is, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply won't believe. It's interesting to notice that Jesus isn't speaking just to this royal official. The, the New American Standard supplies the word in italics, people, you people, which would indicate that Jesus isn't just speaking to this man. He is speaking to all of those who were gathered there. Because there were probably, like there was everywhere Jesus went, some of the sign seekers, right? Right? Lord, show us 
another sign. And so when this man brings his request to Jesus, he's not just addressing that man. He's addressing everyone, all who were there that day. See, the problem with sign seekers is that their so-called faith is dependent on some kind of a sign, some kind of a miracle. Richard Lenski says the complaint of Jesus is that so many would cease to believe in any manner or would never believe even as they did unless he furnished them with miracles on which to rest their faith. So the sign seekers were constantly asking Jesus to perform another sign and will believe. And how often did Jesus say an evil An adulterous generation demands a sign. Now, there's a reason why Jesus gave signs and wonders. John tells us that at the end of his epistle in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. He said, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples. And they're not written in this book. This is just a sampling of them. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So there was a purpose for the signs. The signs pointed to who Jesus is and what He was able to do as we put our trust in Him. So those signs were intended to bring us to salvation, recognizing who Jesus is. But with their extreme focus on signs and wonders, the sign seekers are missing what the signs pointed to. They didn't pause to think about what the signs said about the one who was performing them. Lenski goes on to say, these people do not read the signs and see their true significance that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that these signs seal Him as such. They only want to marvel at the wonder of them, thus they avoid the true purpose of the signs. So the statement that Jesus made to this man and to those who were listening was really a test. Are you just a sign seeker? Will you believe in Jesus only if Jesus does some sign to prove his power? Will you walk away from him if Jesus doesn't give that sign that you ask him to give? He was testing the crowd there that day. And it seems obvious that this man, this royal official, wasn't a sign seeker. He had a desperate need. He had a son who was about to die. So in response to Jesus' statement, notice how he continued to make his plea. Verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. There's my need, Lord. I'm not looking for a sign. My son is about to die. We need you. We need you to touch his, his life. I can't help but think of the Canaanite woman whose daughter was demon-possessed. This mother had a desperate need and, and she continued to make her plea to Jesus. Listen how Matthew describes it. Matthew 15, verse 22. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. 
But Jesus did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away. She keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It seemed like one obstacle after another. But she said, yes, Lord. But even dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. So in spite of what appeared to be obstacles in the way, she continued to bring her need to Jesus. And that's what this royal official did as well. He brought his need to Jesus. And when it seemed like there was an obstacle in the way, he just kept clinging to Jesus. Lord, here's my need. Only you can meet it. So it wasn't just a one-time prayer, but ongoing. Running to Jesus and then clinging to Him. What happens when we bring our need to Jesus? What happens when we cling to Him? The third thing we notice then is we, that, we, that we trust in Jesus... With a restful peace. Peace. If the royal official had been a sign seeker, he probably would have had a problem with Jesus' response that he made on behalf of his son because Jesus simply said to him in verse 50, he said, go, your son lives. Jesus didn't go with him. That's what the royal official asked. Come, come, he said, my, my son is about to die. But Jesus didn't go with him. Neither did Jesus give him some sign. All he said was, go, your son lives. All that Jesus gave to him was his word, right? He gave him his word. And guess what? The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he started off to go home. Trusting that Jesus had already healed his son, gave him peace in the midst of his desperation. The Lord says, go, your son is healed. And he said, okay, I believe it. And he went and started off toward home. The lesson that Jesus wanted to teach this man is that his word is all that he needed because his word can be trusted. Jesus didn't need to be in the presence of this boy to be healed. All he had to do was to say the word, just to speak the word, to say the word. And that son was healed. That's what happened in what we read from Matthew 8, our scripture lesson this morning, right? You got this centurion who comes and says his servant is, is paralyzed and he's fearfully tormented. And Jesus said, I'll come. In this case, he said, I'll come. And remember the centurion said, he said, Lord, you don't need to come. You don't need to come at all. Just say the word. He says, I got 
people under my authority and I tell them to go and they go, I tell them to come and come. You are in authority over this, so just say the word. That's what Jesus did. He said the word, spoke his word, and there was healing. That's what we see here when Jesus said, go, your son lives. That's exactly what happened. And when he got home, verse 51 says, as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said, it was yesterday, the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. The very hour that Jesus said, go, your son lives. They said, that's when the fever broke. Jesus spoke his word and that boy was healed. And if you look at what happened as a result of that healing, you see that God used that to lead many to put their trust in him. Not only did the father of the boy put his trust in Jesus, but our text says his whole household did. His whole household saw this sign of who Jesus is. And they all put their trust in him. We don't know how many that was, but it must have been a few. If this guy was a, a powerful man within the, the kingdom, he might have had a lot of servants. And his whole household put their trust in him. I will never forget when I was probably a young teenager, there was a man in our church who was injured very severely in an accident at work. He worked for the oil refinery. His name was Don. And he was on some kind of a platform and fell off the platform, landed on his head. I think it was almost like nine, ten feet, if I remember right. Ended up in the hospital, was in a coma for many days. Doctor said he probably wouldn't survive. If he survives, he'll be a vegetable. Our church prayed for him. We had a 24-hour prayer vigil. People were on their knees before God. And, and when he started to come, do, come uh, to from his coma, he didn't know his wife. He didn't know his children. See a picture of his kids, and he says, well, some of his kids were kind of chubby. He said, who are these fat little kids, he'd say. So my dad went to visit him quite regularly in the hospital, and one day he went there and thought, I'm going to go see someone else first because Don doesn't even know me. So my dad is walking down the hallway, goes by the room, and Don says, Pastor, where are you going? My dad looked in the room. He said, Don, do you know me? He says, for heaven's sakes, do I know you? You've been my pastor for ten years, he said. I will never forget that. Because that showed to me as a young boy that God can do great things. That God is able to answer prayer. That God is able to heal and to restore. That man's still alive today. Still alive today. God did a wonderful work in that man's life. Desperate situation. Desperate need. We went to Jesus. 
We cling to him. And God did a great work in his life. Now, One of the things that encourages me as I look at this text is that desperate needs. Desperate needs have a way of getting our attention, don't they? Desperate needs can bring us to the place where we realize that we have no hope but in Jesus. And what's interesting, we may not be seeking Jesus because we want to be saved, at least initially, but sometimes that's the end result. And even if we don't receive what we ask for, if we experience the grace of God and salvation, what, what could be better? This healing resulted in souls being saved, right? Lives being changed. Richard Lenski says this about this royal official. If it were not for his sick son, he would not have troubled much about Jesus. And then he says, God's providence often uses our need thus to drive us to find even more than just what we think we need. What did that man think he needed? He think he needed his son to be healed. But he got more than that, didn't he? Yes, his son was healed. But this man came to put his trust in Jesus and his whole household, his whole household was saved. I remember visiting a man in the hospital. You know those hospital gowns? You know, he just opened it up and he said, you see that scar there? I said, yeah. Showed me more than I wanted to see, but yeah, I said, see that scar? He said, that scar is what brought me to Jesus. And he explained what he had gone through. Sick as could be. Didn't know the Lord. Ended up in the hospital. And his roommate was a Christian. And his roommate led him to Jesus. He said, I have no time for God. But he said, that scar is what brought me to Jesus. That boy's sickness brought that royal official to Jesus. He thought that was his greatest need. That wasn't his greatest need. His greatest need was was salvation. And God did a work in that royal official's life, in the lives of his family, his servants, his wife and son, who knows how many. You kind of wonder, someday in heaven, will we hear of some of the, 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 the rest of the story? Uh, what happened if this man was a servant and the uh, high official in the government? Did he, did he share his testimony? Did, did more come to Jesus because of this? Who knows? But God can use those desperate needs in our lives to bring us to Jesus, to bring others to Jesus. As they come face to face with the one who has come to bring salvation. I must tell Jesus. That's what the lady said. (laughs) That's what this royal official said. And I would imagine you've been in those experiences in your life too. You say, I got to tell Jesus about this. I must tell Jesus. As the hymn writer says, Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you did. In the life of that little boy that was sick, ready to die. 
what you did in the life of this royal official, what you did in the lives of his household as you brought many to faith in you, Lord Jesus. Would you do that in our midst? Uh, there's many needs around us, many needs in maybe our families, our friends, our neighbors, um, among many who don't know you, Lord. Would you use those uh, desperate needs? To cause people to run to you, to cling to you, to rest in you, to trust in you. And to experience, Lord, the joy, the, the peace of being forgiven and having a right relationship with you. Lord, do your work of saving grace for the glory and the power of your name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.